a pretty little grown man. Oh, hey. Hi, Dave. Hey, Dom. Uh, we're back with another Pretty Little Liars episode, another extremely good Pretty Little Liars mm-hmm. episode, I have to say. Uh, this one is called Do Not Disturb, and it's episode 15. We only have five more to go because these are um, this these two split seasons are 10 episodes each, so actually a little bit quicker than uh, the past. Yeah, and as you just mentioned, looking ahead, episode 19 is called Did You Miss Me? So we're obviously looking forward to when uh, it's revealed that Charlotte is not dead any longer. Charlotte's not dead. (laughs) Well, so there was this episode was really, there was a lot going on in this one. I mean, there's been a lot going on in all of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think in this one, you know, it seemed like the last couple episodes... What I liked about them was they put them on they put us on the trail of Ezra or Arya's dad or whatever. But, you know, since we know better, there was also so much else going on that it didn't feel like we were wasting time with yeah. false uh, you know, sort of false plants. Mm-hmm. Uh and this episode really opened up a whole lot of stuff, sets up a ton of new it just threw out a ton of threads for people to get tangled up in. I mean, it from the very beginning it started off uh with a reveal, which is that Byron and oh, whatever Holly is that is that Arya's mom's name? I don't remember. Or is that the actress's name? We're not gonna find Ella. That. No, okay. Holly. Ella, yes. Holly is the actress's name. Ella is Arya's mom's name. Like my cat. How could I forget? Yeah. There you go. Uh, that they are getting back together, which I'm not exactly sure why Arya's dad. Uh, Chad Lowe felt the need to wait in the dark for her when she got home. Not scary at all. Yeah, because, uh, you know, when you're going to tell your daughter some uh, really great news, um, <laughs> you wait for her in the dark. Right, like a psycho, like a psycho person. How long? And the other weird thing is that uh, her mom was just like waiting around the corner to like walk out and confirm the news. So right. how long were these two people waiting in uh, very conspicuously strange places for Arya to get home to reveal to her ostensibly good news. Right. It was like the worst surprise birthday party ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then I like how they uh, fit. They they did mention Mike, which was, you know, uh, we haven't told Mike yet. Um, and Ella was like, well, I mean, should we call him again? And, and Chad Lowe was like, no, let's wait for him to give us a call back. Let's not let's not let's not push the subject too much. Right. And then Arya's mom was like, "Wow, it just seems like he's never in his dorm room anymore. What kind of trouble could he be getting up to?" Yeah, it was it was good to have a location for Mike. Uh we never found out what happened with Mike and Mona. Uh Mona makes a tiny little appearance in this episode, which is mm-hmm. exciting. Um Ali returns. Uh, there's a ton of Sarah Harvey. It was, there's just a lot of cool, a lot of our, my favorite characters got to really play around in this episode. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, Mona, our, the appearance of Mona is extremely brief, though it does, uh, preview a lot more Mona to come. Uh, Sarah Harvey is snapping before our eyes. Uh, she was... On the brink of madness, apparently, throughout this whole episode. Um, when she... So Sarah goes and confronts Allie and presents Allie sort of, I don't know, a plan, I guess? or a... Well, she says... She comes in 
and she's like, I was very close to uh, Charlotte, and I apologize, and I feel bad for everything that's happened, mm-hmm. and I think we both know things about her that no one else knew, and I want to put those pieces together and Allie just like picks up her stuff and is like peace out yeah no. don't want to mess with you crazy person yeah your your grin is creeping me out so I'm gonna leave um you know one thing I noticed is uh Sarah Harvey's makeup is immaculate for not being able to use her hands very well <laughs> well that brings up an interesting point right because she had she she gives this this whole spiel to Allie about how Every day, I couldn't feed myself, and people mm. fed me, and I was mean to them, but they fed me anyway, and now I'm doing that, too. <laughs> and, I'm feeding other people. Well, what, what actually, I, what I took from that is that she is doing service for someone. Yeah. I, I read that as not that she's trying to be a good person, but that she was actually actively helping someone. Yeah, she said something else, which I can't remember, actually, right now, but it, it at the time, it stuck out to me that sort of lent some credence to the fact that she knows something about this whole conspiracy that, that, you know, we don't know. Um, obviously she does because as we eventually discovered, uh, when team Sparia, uh, broke into her hotel room that she discovered some sort of secret lair in the back of in the closet. Right. Okay. So let's, let's walk this back just a little bit. Um, Aria, I just want to plow right ahead. Well, so Aria, this is kind of, this is a crazy, this is a, such an interesting scenario because the liars think that they're playing this trick on the new a who they mm-hmm. think is Sarah. Uh, but are they in fact getting played at the same time? There's a lot of setup of like, there were a lot of times we were yelling at the TV tonight. This is a setup. This is a, definitely a setup. There were like three different, sections of the show yeah well yeah right which um the obvious setup is uh emily donating her eggs um which as soon as the it it just it doesn't make sense to me it doesn't so so this is total setup to okay this whole this whole episode is crazy yeah because we have this ally sarah interaction and we think that sarah's evil Right, mm-hmm. we think Allie is good. Yeah, but one possibility we haven't considered is that Allie and her uh, super genius, evil vill- super villain sister have been like planning this for Working five years. Up, yeah. You know, um, Allie right now could be a total Trojan horse in terms of evilness. Well, okay, so I would like to talk to somebody who works in a fertility clinic to tell me if any of this stuff is even remotely realistic. Right. Because the whole thing is suspect. So uh, Emily goes in to donate her eggs. Um, You know, she's going to make some money so she can go back to college or finish college. And she is working under the idea that she is going to help a family or help a couple start a new family. So she donates her eggs. Uh, she um, conveniently, Allison shows up, uh, goes with after Allison's uh, guy guy friend, Doctor Elliot. Yeah, the doctor from Radley or wherever. Not Radley. No, he so, works at the school. Okay, he right? works at the school. Yeah, yeah. Um, he goes over to talk to Emily 
allegedly not on Allison's behest mm-hmm. and f- realizes that Emily is doing the fertility treatment. Yeah, sees like a form that she filled out or something. So next thing you know, Allie's showing up, claiming not to know about it, and Emily spills the beans. Yeah, which, you know, maybe Allie, Allie we've, we know is, is a pretty good actress. And so uh, that could be a total setup. That could be just sort of uh, a... Um, uh, just like Allie, Allie playing that off so that she can uh, go with Emily to the fertility clinic where Emily is sedated and then undergoes procedure to have her eggs taken. Now, granted, if this is a setup, if all of this is uh, part of, of <laughs> evil emojis plan, then maybe Emily's eggs were never taken that's what that's a possibility that's also a possibility anyway so emily has this sort of like weird hallucination that sarah harvey is doing something to her she wakes up uh allison uh comes in the room allison is acting strange but allison is saying that it's that she's it's just she's just hallucinating that she never went anywhere um and then covering for okay so we know in pretty little liars that there's no such thing as hallucinations, except uh, when we saw Christmas Mona, the ghost of Christmas Mona. Everything else in the show, yeah. <laughs> everything else in the show has either been real or a ghost. <laughs> so I think we can say that hallucin or Stone Toby, but he didn't actually hallucinate anything. He was just very high. No. So then, so I think we can say definitively we have learned that of ghosts course are real. that of course Sarah Harvey was there. Yeah, and also we've learned that ghosts are real. Also, Sarah Harvey was she wasn't in her hotel room, so she had to be somewhere. Right, she was probably at the fertility clinic. Well, so here the timeline gets a little funky because later we see her at Radley, and then she leaves after this happens to Emily. So she could have come and gone. I mean, it doesn't. There's there's no like conflict in her. We saw that happen. We saw her at Radley. So we see her at Radley because Arya hears her outside of a room. Yes. Yeah. Well, so this is the other setup where the liars think they're getting ahead of their new villain. Um, Hannah can't find the hard drive in her mom's house that has the video footage of Arya at Radley, but Arya has the genius idea. Oh, we'll just. Tell the new tell a that we do have it and that we'll give it to them and get them out of wherever they are. Duh, <laughs> uh, which is you know a pretty genius little plan. Tbh, yeah. uh, if we assume that a is not observing them, make that plan and one step ahead of them. Blah blah blah. You know the sort of standard makeup of the show. Um, but so Caleb makes this drive and they bring it over and drop it off, and so we don't see anyone pick it up. Mm-hmm. But at that point. That when we do go back to Radley, Sarah Harvey is still at the hotel and then okay. leaves and then leaves. All so right. it's unclear if she picks it up, you know, h- how many participants are happening in this. It's unclear to me if she's leaving the hotel to go pick up the hard drive or not, because it does seem to happen later in the day. OK, yeah. Not to make this like super, com- a super convoluted timeline. Um, well, but it is a I, convoluted timeline. Well, I think she definitely could have gone to Emily's appointment gone back to the hotel, had the confrontation with Mrs. Marin, and then peaced out to go get the hard drive. 
that mm. could have totally happened, or a secondary person could have gone to pick up the hard drive while she was at the hotel. Well, I think that we can safely say that there are more than there's. If Sarah Harvey is involved, which it's a good chance that she is, it's more than just her. Who's evil emoji? Well, I guess the question is if Allie and Sarah Harvey are working together on this like setup of Emily, they can't. But they can't be though. They would. It have had seems that. like they could, they can't be because of the interaction they that have at school. Yeah. So, so it seems, and yet it feels a lot to me like that scene is very set up, and that Allie is there purposefully, you know, with a plan and not just out of happenstance. Right. Yes. It's it's too easy. I totally agree with that. Also, because the interaction that Emily has with the nurse is just beyond strange. I mean, right. So granted, let's, let's get into that. So I. Granted, I have never been in this situation. I don't know what it's like at a fertility clinic. I don't know what it's like to donate eggs or even consider that. But it seems like that's a really uh, major, well, relatively major surgery to have um, to then at the very last minute have the people who you're donating your eggs to bow out of the situation and then they're then they're basically saying well we you signed a contract so technically we own the eggs now and we can't give them back to you uh and they could be destroyed which and she doesn't get paid for it somehow and yeah and and you also don't get the money um so that whole yeah that whole situation seems completely ridiculous and unrealistic uh and emily with Allie's urging, just kind of goes for it and says, okay, well, I want to just donate my eggs to whoever then, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so that whole scene is which feels again very, feels very set up to me. You know, we're admitting the fact that we don't know anything about the situation in real life. So if you do, please let us know. Seriously. Yeah, if this, if this seemed like a total red flag. Because it seems ridiculous yeah. to us. And so much so that, that that was the one scene where we were just like screaming at the screen. Like that's that's, like, come that's on. a fucking setup. Come, <laughs> come on. on, yeah. So, and 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 Emily, who is the most uh, paranoid, I think, next to Arya out of all the liars, just seems totally okay with everything well, she's, that's happening. She's coming out of she's coming out of you know sedation. I, she's I got some drugs going on. She and she was probably injected with extra drugs by Sarah Harvey, so she could yeah. pass out. And I don't know, man. Yeah, I, guess I mean, it's true. It's like how long has she been out? Also, I mean. I I know she trusts Sally, but I don't know. I mean, we've just seen you know why is she suddenly so trusting of Allie when she really wasn't before, and Allie was basically setting like was kind of convinced that the liars had something to do with Charlotte's death, right? Right. Like, why, why, she's suddenly very trusting of Allie. Yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting interaction, uh, and I think I'm I'm hoping that Allie has some deeper motives because it just makes the show more fun if she can be a darker character and i don't trust this whole you know 180 degree turn that she's done in this over this five-year period and toward the end of the last season right right you know and uh i mean maybe like what we were saying before uh before we watched the show maybe all of the parents are conspired to kill Charlotte. We don't know where the hard drive really is. No, we don't. So, uh, you know, Arya and Hannah searched high and low all throughout 
Hannah's mom's house, which uh, shout out to, to a follower on Twitter. And I, I don't have my phone on me. I apologize for not knowing your name, but did point out that that seemed like a lot of carbs for Hannah's mom to eat. <laughs> it, it did. It did. That was a lot, a lot of, cereal. of cereal. That was a lot of cereal. <laughs> uh, and there and there was, you know, I don't expect perfection out of Pretty Little Liars, but there were, there were certain shots of Hannah going through like um, Raisin Bran where... There's obviously no hard drive in the pile, but yet she was like still spraying. Let me just let me just make sure there's no gigantic hard drive in this bag of crazy. There are that. two scoops in here. I need to make sure. Uh, a lot of cereal. Um, only, but I mean, there's a lot of fiber. I wonder if Hannah's mom has uh, bowel movement problems. Well, you know, you get an older, older lady. You yeah. have these issues. Yeah. You know, it's nothing to. Be I don't ash- blame her. It's nothing to be ashamed of. No, that's true. Got to stay regular. I mean, yeah. Speaking of on the regular, uh, there was some hot Spalob action in this episode. There was, which which is I think is very hot. I am down. For this, <laughs> I'm down for this relationship to happen. Yeah, uh, Hannah still. Uh, I mean, I. That's the thing is like you know, the the way that the show shoots these dynamics, uh, where we see. You know, Spencer come in. She's a little surprised that Hannah and Caleb are alone and talking. Well, so this is later. This is after, you know, their little right. uh, their little makeout sesh at her in her barn. Yeah, after after Caleb is, is smooching all up on her neck and, and stuffs. Uh, but so later after after so Hannah and Arya decide that they're going to fake. A, an exchange with evil emoji um, who Hannah <clears throat> in typical Hannah fashion <clears throat> excuse me is convinced that that's Sarah because her reasoning who else could it be well that's a pretty good <laughs> pretty good reason <laughs> I, like, find, I don't know who else could it anyway, be I, no, I agree. a lot of other people it probably. seems pretty straightforward I, I think it's a pretty a, of all the guesses the liars have ever made I think this one seems the most straightforward right I mean Sarah Harvey is a super creep, but, uh, and so then they decide, well, you know, Arya, they'll, they'll fake this exchange. They'll give, they'll give evil emoji something. Uh, they'll give Sarah Harvey, uh, uh, quote unquote something. And while they're making the drop, Arya will then, uh, ransack Sarah Harvey's room. And of course she, convinces Spencer to go with her, which is how they both end up in the hotel room. Now, um, so they decide to do this, and then Hannah goes to Caleb in order to get the uh, fake hard drive that she is going to pretend is the real hard drive that has the security footage on it. Naturally. Um, And so that then leads to Caleb and Hannah being alone, Spencer comes back from having lunch with Yvonne, where Spencer does an incredibly fucking stupid thing. This is another setup. Seriously. Exactly. Another point at which we are screaming at the screen, set up, Spencer, set up. Set the fuck up. Like, grab her phone, go the fuck outside, and give it back to her. Mm -hmm. And what's even more ridiculous is when Spencer shows up at her her you know farmhouse where caleb and hannah are planning the the fake hard drive spencer is like 
hey, guys, I have this phone. And Caleb, instead of saying, like, what the fuck are you doing? That's obviously a setup. He's like, oh, no, great. Let's hack this phone. It's like, right, well, right. come on, everybody. What the fuck? Right. Haven't you learned anything? Well, and this is after the thing about it that should make Caleb and Spencer both second guess it is the fact that the calendar notification just pops up on Spencer's, well, her Apple Watch. Right. Or exactly. whatever. It comes out of nowhere. She doesn't know who set up the appointment. Uh, so it's someone is setting it up. And then Yvonne thinks Spencer set it up. Yeah. Uh, so... Well, so it ends up that Spencer tries to go back to the restaurant to return the phone after Caleb has cloned it, and who shows up but but Mona, mm-hmm. right? And so Mona's pretty much like, uh, we'll just not mention anything about the fact that you stole that phone. Right. And Spencer's like, wait a minute, did you set up this whole thing, crazy person? Yeah. And Mona's just like, eh. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you would. it seems pretty obvious that the meeting is some kind of setup and the phone is just left there. And then naturally we see Caleb, you know, working into the dead of night, just hacking away. Uh, and he runs into the, he goes into the cloud, the mysterious cloud and finds the, uh, the opposition research of this other political campaign. So if this isn't, we all, we know number one, that Mona is like a genius, like, ninja grade blue snarfer or whatever (laughs) right and she had like uh stuff that that caleb couldn't hack five years ago so it seems like this is a pretty straightforward way to entrap the uh the hastings campaign into being accused of hacking their opponent yeah i think that's what this is really about it's a political setup it has nothing to do with the a stuff Really? You don't... Huh. That's what I think it is. I think Mona's trying to set up a way to accuse the other campaign of wrongdoing. So you think that Mona has nothing to do with evil emoji, let alone have anything to do or it knows anything about Charlotte's murder? I wouldn't say that, but I think in this particular moment, um, this feels more like a political ruse to me than some kind of larger... Uh, a situation Hmm. because we because we see you know it's just like i don't know we just know that mona's very good in these matters and it's something that she could be smarter than caleb on and it's such an obvious setup for the phone to get left there so that they can try to hack it she knows caleb's on the campaign yeah so she knows there's sort of like a natural uh pathway for someone to do that Mm -hmm. you know that's my little theory yeah. I mean, it may be proven wrong. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, yeah. Although, you know, what is, I mean, is that just like dirty? It feels like there should be a bigger motive uh, at play besides just winning a campaign, I guess. Well, we don't really know what Mona's, what Mona's motives are right now. Yeah. Uh, she tried to work for the Hastings campaign, which smells funny. Got turned down. And now she's working for the rival campaign. She's in Rosewood. Uh, she's there the week that Charlotte gets killed. Yeah. You know, uh, of, of course she's connected. Of course she has something to do with it. Uh, and we never really got the full story on all the stuff she was going through in the first place. So I feel like she is a total wild card. Yeah. I agree with that. 
Yeah, you know. Which which is what I love about the season right now because they have set up so much, but it's just enough to not be like an overwhelming amount of information. Like you could see how certain things could fit together or, you know, certain characters could have a motive or whatever and it but it doesn't feel like there's 20 different things that could happen. It feels like, well, there's like three or four. Right, right. And one of those will be whatever comes out. Yeah. Um so we the sort of the episode comes to a head uh, when Spencer and Arya, uh, Team Sparia, Team which, Sparia, which Arya literally says almost like as a nod to to Twitter hashtag just, just to hashtags. I I'm just waiting for the day when they just combine all their names into one giant mutant name. Yeah, it'll just be a hashtag. It'll be Team. Barry Emiliana. Spamiliana. <laughs> Team Rihanna. Yes. Um, and so they they break into Sarah Harvey's hotel room, which is pretty immaculately clean. Uh, Spencer finds. Yeah, as if of- as if it hasn't been stayed in at all, which probably not because well, two things that happen in the hotel room. I'll, yeah. I'll let you continue. So the two things, uh one is Spencer finds a a couple drawers full of gloves, but in just one, like a shit ton of gloves. Just a shit ton of gloves, but in one of the gloves finds plans uh conveniently labeled for the old Radley uh with Charlotte's room circled in red and then an uh, translucent overlay of the new hotel, which shows that Charlotte is staying in the room, or not Charlotte, that Sarah is staying in the room that Charlotte used to have when she was, and uh, when she was committed at at Radley. Right. Um. Upon Spencer discovering that, uh, she then tries to alert Arya and finds that alar- Arya has has gone because Arya has discovered a hole in the wall in the closet that leads to a mysterious ladder, which into the darkness descends into into the, the back cave. Yeah, this is this is such an amazing so hanger ending. I love it. So uh, this I don't know. This has nothing to do with anything, but this reminded me very strongly of this, uh, especially because it was Spencer who was looking down into the abyss where the ladder was leading. And uh, as our listeners may know, I talked about the most recent movie that Troyan was in called Martyrs, which is a, uh, a quote unquote horror movie. Um, and one of the major uh images slash set pieces in that movie is a hidden compartment that leads to a ladder that leads into the basement where all the torture happens. So I wonder if Troyan, when she was filming this, was like, oh, this is giving me flashbacks to that really disgusting piece of shit horror movie that I made. Right, right. Which I don't think that she would call that. I mean, work is work, right? Yeah. You know, you gotta gotta stay busy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I... So, okay, so... Is that... Does that path... Was that there... Do we think that was there when Charlotte was there? And she has like a secret... She had a whole secret lair that now um, Sarah is trying to trying to collect information on i would or... say fucking absolutely because i mean charlotte was a this whole time right you know and we know that charlotte was like pretty much just like jet setting all over the fucking place but 
Charlotte had to have like a HQ of some sort. Right. You know. Maybe what did this have to do with Mona, you know? Yeah. Like Mona was while Mona was losing her shit in Radley, Mona was still like delegating a roles to people and interacting with Charlotte and interacting with Charlotte. Yeah. 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 We still do not know. She absolutely, I don't know. We still do not know the depths of that connection, um, which really bothers me because I think the show makes a couple, made a couple of efforts in particular scenes to connect them. Yeah. And then we don't really get any payoff from it because she becomes just another captive the way the liars are. Right. And it's never really, there's never really a point for her to betray the liars. There's never really a point for her to like show any true colors or whatever. So if there was this deeper relationship that the show, I think, makes fairly clear in a couple of show-ending scenes along the way, mm-hmm. um, it's just never revealed. Yeah. There's just It's just you know this thread that seems like it was just not followed. So I would like to see Mona linked back to this and um, you know how it plays out with Mona's fear of Allie uh, or any sort of emotions she may still have anti her, you know, it, that's where it's like, it's this weird little complicated triangle. Yeah. And I don't really know if the show is going to do anything with it at all or uh, what will come out of it because it, you know, it's just, I just don't see, they just haven't followed up on it in so long. Yeah. You know, and, and as, as you talk about that sort of lack of clarity and that connection, one thing that, um, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but you know, I was I've, I'm thinking about about Allie and going back to sort of her the way that this half season started and her bringing the liars back into the in, into to the situation to Rosewood and really asking them to go above and beyond as far as victims uh, and people who experienced traumatic situations go, asking them to forgive someone who tortured them uh, without really having, uh, with only the fact that they had the distance of time uh, to help them with that. And as much as Allie experienced, she never experienced that kind of torture at the hands of Charlotte. Right. And so the more I think about it, the more I think like, why would she ever expect her friends to, to want to help someone who put them through an experience that she doesn't, that she doesn't understand, nor is she trying to understand. And now, you know, she, the few times that we've seen her this season, she's either begging the liars to try and let out their torturer, or she's practically writing them out to the police. And then here, she goes to uh, Lucas's apartment, which <laughs> the one thought that I had, which was just like, there's a lot of people coming and going to Lucas's apartment. If only he fucking knew what kind of traffic that place was getting. Of course he does. <laughs> They're all under surveillance. Yeah. <laughs> he is 100% tracking this shit. Good point. Uh, Set up. Seriously. Uh, but that she, that, that, Allison shows up and sh- and she's like, I just need someone to talk to. I just need... And 
that's got to be the umpteenth fucking time we've heard Allison say that. Right. Or some, or, you know, some sort of uh, version of that phrase. And you know what? And maybe this is just sort of, maybe this is expecting too much uh, or uh, looking too hard into this character, but that's really selfish. And I, and I'm, I'm having trouble believing that Allison has reformed enough that she is like this, like good, person now because everything she does is so selfish well let's let's keep in mind too that she just lost her sister you know who's on the verge of like getting out starting a life again being a family and as the uh i mean i think they tried to make Allie look fairly sympathetic in this episode because you know the the doctor guy says you know your your dad and jason haven't done anything and she's like yeah i guess my friends are really all i have and i need to Excuse me. I need to apologize and well, and build this build these relationships again. But, but she wasn't like, oh, maybe I was shitty to my friends and shouldn't have asked them to like, you know, basically do this like, in the first place. Right. Yeah. Like she's well, not, yeah. This is why maybe I, I shouldn't have accused them of murdering my sister. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> and I mean, this is why I was glad that she had an interaction with Sarah Harvey because it's like just a chance to see her in a different mode and outside of this like fairly predictable bland characterization that she's had. Yeah. Uh, you know other than that so yeah no i i hear you i think that's a good point to make because i'm just i'm just i'm feeling more and more like allison is this new version of allison is just sort of like a mask that she's wearing and she's really just maybe just kind of a shitty person that seems like a very real potential um i mean i have always thought that the most interesting dynamic in in a long chunk of the show was between ally and mona Mm -hmm. and I really hope that comes back. I think Sarah Harvey throws a very interesting wrinkle into it. If we somehow, you know, of course, what will, you know, what I hope happens actually is that the show learns from the, the 6A finale and actually gives us a little bit more backstory this time <laughs> when it shows us like when it inevitably tells us this, the Sarah Harvey story and all this stuff. But, you know, maybe not. Maybe it'll just kind of zip through and we'll just have to go with it. You know, it's it's strange because like I think that it's easy now in this new iteration of the show to jump once more into an endless stream of details. But, you know, if you can try to take the show on a, on a broader scale, you know, and think about what are like, what are the themes of the show? And it seems like, you know, one of the themes that the show really wants to explore, maybe not overtly, but, uh, at least on some sort of subtextual level is is trauma and you know ideas of blame and um and and reconciliation and and loyalty and loyalty and forgiveness and i just i think about ally as this as a character as a whole and it's you know First, you see someone who was victimizing. If you if you look at the dynamic between her and Mona, you see someone who was victimizing Mona. Then you see someone. Uh, then you see Mona who uh, was attempting to victimize Allie, um, but Allie made her way out of that, and then basically Mona went crazy, and uh, ended up in Radley. And you could blame Mona for attempting to kill Hannah. Um, 
for m- murdering uh, what's her face, Bethany Young. Bethany Young, but I still see Mona as as a victim, as someone who was victimized and who was basically driven to to insanity. Definitely. Um, and no one's saying that Allie, like no one still really knows what Allie was doing for those two years. When she was right. Gone. Right. Again, we still, yeah, it's just one of these pieces of the show, like the NAT club or all this lost time where Allie was just running around doing who knows what, but she comes back to the show and, you know, and she not only expects her friends to, a just like accept that she's been gone and that she was that she had concocted this enormous plan to be gone, but to basically get on her wavelength and just do what they what she basically is asking of them as and she as she starts making up stories just on the fly as she starts making up stories and as she starts developing like a coalition against them at high school remember like well that happens after that happens that happens after the liars are like we don't want to mess with you anymore this is insane well right but she but she had no qualms or compunction about just basically turning a lot of people against the liars right and then flips from that into the version of ali that we see now who's this very like oh i'm I'm reformed it's hard to accept her as a, a really genuine person it's hard to it's hard not to see her as extremely manipulative as as you know uh sort of an antagonist throughout of out, out all of this i mean i just i i, I, I agree she, i, I see do, her as a villain i i agree i do think the show set up the nerd armies as a time killing convenience and i don't think we should weight that part of the narrative super strongly because it seems to have just been totally abandoned and so uh, I think we can maybe, you know, redact that a little bit from the characterization because it just doesn't seem true to the, the larger scope of the show at this point. Not to give the show a free pass, but I think, <laughs> you know, I think that was like a screw up basically or a sloppy bit of, you know, of narrative. And it seems like it was abandoned pretty harshly. So then what do you think about Allie? Do you think that she's good? I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's it's the show really presents us two totally different possibilities t- today, which is where she and Sarah Harvey are at odds, and then one where she was like her watchdog, let, making sure she could come in and you know do whatever she did uh, medical malpractice to Emily. Uh, so I think it's totally up in the air. Yeah, I absolutely do not. I think it could go either way, and I think I would lean more toward the questionable side after this episode for sure mm-hmm. wait so so uh the one thing that we haven't mentioned is that uh emily is at lucas's uh, sort of just resting uh hannah has left oh hannah who basically lost her job um because she f- uh, she got to back to new york too late uh, in order to help her extremely stereotypical devil wears Prada type boss, right? Uh, who replaced her with a I don't know, a Swedish or German model some, type, some some random European to be yeah. her new assistant, Gre- Greta, um, and uh, Hannah. You know, then <laughs> is like in her rich boyfriend's limo, who's just like, just keep driving. I just, just, let's just drive. Um, 
And so Emily's by herself at Lucas's apartment because apparently anyone can just stay there and gets a knock at the door. And it's a grocery bag with uh, some eggs, some eggs, a broken egg. And, in fact, and a note that says, you know, I like, I don't even remember what the note says. It's like, bring, bring me the killer or I'll use your eggs. Yeah. So this is what I don't get, which is that evil emoji thinks that the liars does evil emoji really think the liars know who killed Charlotte. And does evil emoji not have anything to do with Charlotte's murder? I was thinking the same thing, and I find that very confusing. Right. Because who is trying to... So is 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 it Charlotte trying to solve the mystery? Or, I'm sorry, is it Sarah trying to solve the mystery of who killed Charlotte, of who her enemy was? Is she going to end up being the good character in all this? Right. And trying to use the liars to get the information because she thinks the liars did it? I mean, logically, that would make sense. Is you have you have someone or a coalition of someone's who killed Charlotte, and you have Sarah who is becoming a in order because she suspects that the liars had something to do with killing Charlotte, and so are harassing them into giving her the truth. That all seems a bit. It seems logical, but it seems a bit too obvious. Now, if all the parents in Rosewood were conspiring. To kill Charlotte, I love this theory. In order to protect their <laughs> their children, then that would make sense. That's another thing. Arya's dad gets a free pass because Arya thinks in absolutes and doesn't see shades of gray. As soon as she finds out her dad was sneaking around uh, with her mom, she's like, "Oh, he's totally fine," and completely ignores the whole conversation, the message he left for Ezra. Right. Yeah. So so basically, uh, Arya. Arya is told by her mom in no uncertain words that her mom and Chad Lowe were together the night of the murder. Right. But that doesn't mean she didn't sleep through it and he didn't sneak out. I mean... And like you said, that doesn't account for the fact that Chad Lowe called and left a message on Ezra's answering machine, I mean, which that, Arya seems to just conveniently that forget. Could have, that could have just been, in, in fairness uh, to this elaborate you know, uh, red flag the show has given us, that could have just been him trying to pass off being seen with his ex-wife because he knew Ezra would talk to Arya about it. Oh. So maybe that's the answer. That feels less fun to me than him being out and about at four in the morning. But I think it could be the actual answer. But that assumes that Chad Lowe knows that Arya and Ezra are like on still on very close terms. Well, presumably he would know that they're working together, right? Unless she just lies about everything to everyone. I just assume that she does. Yeah. She didn't call her boyfriend once during this whole episode. That's true. Got poor, call, poor, poor Liam. Poor secret sexy Liam. Yeah. Poor moderately sexy Liam. <laughs> um, and we also missed the other big thing of this episode, which is at the very end in our A scene, yeah. A's plugging in the heart, the Caleb hard drive. The, yeah. Video pops up of Caleb. Caleb's very like, what up, doe? Very risky, bro. Very risky move. And he says, "We're gonna turn the tables on you, sucker." Yeah. That's not what he says, but you know, you get the you get the and gist then of it. And like berserk. Yeah. And it sets off a virus, which is awesome. What I hope happens and doesn't appear to happen because the virus sets in so quickly 
is that Caleb gets a trace on the signal of where this virus hard drive is being plugged in. Oh, yeah. Right? Or yeah. gets access to the computer or something. It would have been a lot smarter for Caleb to not have like blown the computer, but to have gotten some kind of connection. But maybe, maybe that'll happen next episode. Well, we just got to trust that Caleb knows what he's doing. Yeah, we do. But, I, you know, that was a nice scene to see. It's always nice to see um, someone getting the drop on A and, and like, having the cat and mouse game go back and forth and not being in the position as the viewer of assuming that A is always, or whoever, is always one step ahead. Well, I mean, they should play it safe still, regardless. I, I agree. Still that, talking, was a, that was a pretty risky move to put his face on a They're video. still talking too loudly. Yeah, that's also true. Especially in Lucas's apartment. Yeah, yeah, it's true. There was that nice moment when they're in Sarah's room and uh, they see the glove on the ground and Spencer's like, well, guess this was a mistake. And then they like <laughs> continue, they continue to search the apartment or the hotel room. That was very funny. I yeah. thought that was great. It's, it's nice to see. Let's, them. let's go back across the balcony. Yeah. It's nice to see them, you know, have these little touches of, uh, of cleverness, especially in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Click. Let's leave the room. Click. Uh, so I, I thought this episode was great, and I think having it be a 10-episode season, um, you know, you can tell they're really trying to move through a lot of personal stuff and mystery stuff and just, you know, these episodes so far have had no fat. There's been not a lot of – there's, like, just enough stuff to really keep it super riveting and then get us on to the next episode. And um, I'm loving it. I'm excited to see what they do next. Yeah, Um one thing I, I didn't get to, to really mention or I started talking about it and didn't finish, which, which was I <clears throat> I hope this doesn't become anything because I like the the reality and the naturalness of it, which is that when Spencer walks into uh, the barn where Caleb and Hannah are planning the fake hard drive, there's some awkwardness there and Hannah is like, Oh, I was just about to leave. And Spencer's like, no, you don't have to leave. Like, it's fine. Like, I know that, you know, we're all awkward, but it's okay. We've all talked about this. And then Spencer brings the phone and gives it to Caleb and Caleb's and Caleb is just like, obviously like so on board with being with Spencer. He's just like being all touchy feely with her right in front of Hannah. Right. And Hannah is like, and Spencer's like eyeing Hannah who is obviously really uncomfortable by the whole situation, uh, which I really hope the show doesn't go any further because I like the idea that you just have friends who are getting used to the idea that like people move on, that people move on, that relationships change because I really don't want, it's just so much more natural, so much more realistic to just have that just be, a character building dynamic rather than a plot point or a love, the love triangle. Right. Yeah. Because it's just like, I don't need that. I don't want that. I want to have these people just do natural things, which is just, just like have trouble getting over feelings because they're 23 fucking years old. Right. And I mean, the show always has turned to a breakup or a dramatic relationship rockiness before, you know, when it's needed to shake up the show a little bit. But I, you know, again, I think like, having the season be 10 episodes and not 24 or whatever makes it a lot easier to not have to make those kind of sloppy plot decisions. Right. Yeah. I saw some pictures, uh, from an upcoming episode. Uh, Tanner is coming back. 
Ooh, okay. That's interesting. Which is weird because wasn't it revealed that Tanner was like Ace Pawn? I don't know. It was, I can't remember now. All the stuff with the police was like very confusing. Yeah. Apparently it didn't affect Toby's career besides him not making detective. Well, you know. Um, Yeah. Apparently when you become a detective, you just get dour all the time. Yeah. If you're Lorenzo, you just got like a mean mugging face on constantly. Oh. Those, <laughs> those poor police bros. Uh, uh time for fake plugs. Let's, let's do our beer shout out. We we had a um a Benno Trappist and Beer, uh product of Austria. Um It's incredibly tasty. It's very good. This is comes from the uh the Stift Engelsel Brewery and this is in Austria, uh like I said, and it is actually an Abbey Ale. Uh if you know about the the monk, the Trappist breweries, um, you know, there's only a handful. There's maybe six or seven, I think, that are allowed to call themselves Trappist breweries. And they have this little um, six-sided symbol, geometric shape. What is that called? A something, a gram. Uh, se- uh, a septic. It's a blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, there's this nice little uh, diamond. Step is seven. Sex? Is it sex? It could be a sex to gram. Yeah. Um, it's not a sext, but anyway, uh, this is one of those official Abbey ales. So made by, made by monks. Uh, I've had a lot of the Belgian ones, uh, but this was a new one and is very good. Uh, it's brewed with honey, which you can definitely taste. It's mm-hmm. a dark beer. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would drink it again. Yeah. That was very good. Dave brought that over and it was, it was very tasty. Uh, so thank you to that beer. <laughs> thank you monks. Yeah, thanks, monks. When you know we, um, when my wife and I were in, we were in Belgium on our honeymoon and went out to the Chimay Brewery. Mm-hmm. And Chimay is about the easiest, I think, of the Trappist beers to get in the U.S. They have really good distribution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the brewery, I mean, it's like something out of a movie set or something. They have perfectly manicured grounds. You can walk through this just like wonderfully carved forest. There's this beautiful like golden path, you know, <laughs> down these between these skinny trees. Um, of course the beers are great and they have cheese and, you know, all this, mm-hmm. all this great food and everything. And so that was a really excellent hideaway. Uh, so if anyone finds themselves in, you know, driving around Southern Belgium, uh, the Chimay Abbey and brewery is really awesome. Excellent. Uh, I want to, uh, in a totally unrelated fashion, shout out, um, something that, uh, I am proud to be a part of, which is, the uh, Portland International Film Festival is starting this week. They have opening night on Thursday. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday, obviously. Um, and uh, I am feel very privileged and lucky enough to have a press pass to it because um, the it's something the Portland International Film Festival is programmed by the Northwest Film Center, which is a um, quite important, uh, uh, resource, uh, and a valuable organization in Portland because Portland is not exactly, uh, known for its film industry, uh, nor is it known for having the best access to films. Although we do get a lot of films and we have good theaters here. Uh, we just, as far as press goes and as far as getting movies ahead of time, uh, especially foreign movies, we just don't, um, especially compared to places like New York or L.A. 
or even like Austin uh, or Chicago. We just don't have that kind of access. Um, and the Northwest, Northwest Film Center essentially puts on a film festival every year where they just bring in all of these movies. And uh, this year the lineup is impeccable and it's starting. And if you live in the area, get a ticket and go to as many movies as you can because it's just phenomenal. And this year especially is just, I'm blown away by the lineup. Um, I'm lucky to have screeners and I'm lucky to be able to go to some press showings. Uh, uh, but these are movies that you really don't in many, in many cases you can't see unless you are lucky enough to like find it and rent it maybe, or, you know, um, there's a lot of movies that have been in past, uh, film festivals that I've just, just that just never get distribution in there. Right, they fun- don't get bought or they don't find. And they're way. phenomenal movies. Yeah. Um, and that and if, unless you go to like Con or Sundance or like the Berlin Film Festival, you'll never see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Portland Festival brings them there, and so I just want to I just wanted to to shout that out because this year especially I'm just like. I am so excited by the movies that they've brought this year. I have so many movies. I've been getting a uh, shout out also to Nick Bruno. He probably doesn't listen to this, but he's a programmer at the festival who has been so, so nice to me. Um, and I've been getting so many screeners in my email that like every time I see it, I just, just pee my pants with glee because there's <laughs> just like so many movies that I've just been dying to see. Um, I recently saw uh, The Lobster, which is a Colin Farrell movie, okay. um, which is made by uh, this Greek director named, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing this, but Yorgos Lanthimos, and he made Dogtooth, um, which I don't know if you've... It, Dogtooth is... It's, it might be on... It was on Netflix for a while. It might be now like on Amazon Prime, because Amazon Prime gets a lot of movies that Netflix passed up, or maybe Hulu. Uh but uh, it's this Greek movie where um, it has Colin Farrell in it, um, Rachel Weiss, uh, John C. Riley, um, and it's this like weird alternate universe, alternate future where um, single people are basically there. It's it's against the law to be single, and if you're single, you are apprehended by by the authorities and taken to a a hotel where you have 45 days to find a mate. And Amazing. if you don't find a mate, you are turned into an animal. And oh you, get to, you get to pick that animal once you're, uh, once you're taken to the hotel. And so the name of the movie comes from the fact that when Colin Farrell, who his wife breaks up with him at the beginning of the movie, so he goes to this hotel and they ask him what, uh, what animal he wants to be. And he says he wants to be a lobster. Um <laughs> Uh, it's it is possibly the best role that Colin Farrell has ever had. Amazing. It is so different from like his role in True Detective or his role in pretty much anything you've seen him. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Is he playing like a Zach Galifianakis type character? Well, he's uh, he's put on a lot of weight for this role. He's a little he's pretty pudgy for it. Um, he's very which you know it's kind of like that kind of feels like the actorly thing to do. You know, like to be like a, this like kind of like handsome but you know like this reserved dorky kind of guy you know and he's very all the like the dialogue is very surreal where it's just a lot of like um it's like terse formal sentences like it's mm-hmm. very mannerly 
uh um and he's like a very he's like a very reserved person uh it's amazing it's a really crazy movie it's one of those movies where it starts and you're like i don't know how they can pull this off for an hour and a half and then they fucking do and you're like holy shit that's that's amazing oh man uh uh leia sedu who is uh one of the new bond girls in specter uh who's also in blue is the warmest color she's in it too there's a lot of actors in it um it's it's fantastic. Anyway, that's one of the movies that uh, was brought to the film festival, uh, which I am just like such a huge fan of, and so I wanted to point that out um, for maybe the one or two people in Portland who actually <laughs> listen to our podcast. Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I'll have to I have to go look at the lineup then, and uh, we'll definitely talk about we'll do like a you know we'll do a blow by blow of the ones that you get to see. When oh it's, yeah, when it wraps I'm, up. I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, so the opening night is on is two nights from now. Um, and, uh, there, the opening night is a movie called The Fencer, uh, which I've never heard of, but it looks like good old Oscar bait. One of the movies that, so I was talking to this guy, Nick Bruno, and he was telling me that they almost considered, uh, for opening, cause opening night is usually like a bigger movie. They're trying to draw some people to it. And like a few years ago they premiered, um, Coraline was their opening night movie. Oh, that's a great because, movie. Because like, a is a huge sponsor uh and like like is the animation studio that made Coraline and uh they um they had this big premiere a bunch I guess a bunch of stars showed up to it and like they had like puppets there um which the opening night that I went to last year wasn't as big and I don't think it'll be this big this year but they considered showing um uh I Saw the Light which is the new movie about Hank Williams. It's the Hank Williams biopic uh, oh, okay. where Tom Hiddleston plays Hank Williams. Cool. Um, they did decided against it, but that's one of the movies that's showing at the festival. Um which I think is one of the few American movies that's being shown. Um so yeah, uh Portland Film Festival, Northwest Film Northwest Northwest Film Center fake plug. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Real plug. Real plug. Real plug. From our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Heart plug. Uh, well, thank you for being with us again this week. Uh, you can tweet to us at PLGM Podcast. You can drop us a quick review on iTunes if you want to throw down those five stars for us, help us climb the, the podcast charts. It seems like uh, we're getting a pretty regular audience, listening audience these days. So, uh, thank, yeah. thank if you've made it this far and you hang out with us every week. Uh, thank you, and you know, let us know what you think and what you'd like us to talk about or what your crazy PLL theories are because it's so open ended, and uh, I would love to hear what everyone thinks about it. Yeah, and uh, until next time, we love you all, bitches. Keep it.